Good day, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Start of Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures. This is the show where we interview entrepreneurs and investors on the stories and catalysts of their startup successes and failures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker. Hope you guys are doing well. Today's episode is a unique one as we recently attended Hawaii Venture Capital Association's State of the Startup Investment Industry in Hawaii. This was a luncheon they had at the Plaza Club here in downtown Honolulu. Uh, this is a distinguished panel that discussed the latest developments of the venture industry, both locally and nationally. We've got panelists that include Vijoy Chatterjee, the chief investment officer at the Hawaii Employees Retirement System, uh, Tim Dick, who's a general partner at Startup Capital Ventures, a fund that's active both locally as well as in the Valley, Omar Sultan, uh, our very own director of investments at Upside Fund, Accelerate UH, and partner at Sultan Ventures. And Steve Markowitz, angel investor, MyPoints founder, Bstripe founder, and cannabis uh, fan investor. And it's all moderated by the Melly James, the president of Hawaii Venture Capital Association and our head of new ventures at Sultan Ventures. So the first 30 minutes or so is comprised of two presentations. We've got one by Steve Markowitz, where he provides a debrief of the Angel Capital Association conference he attended a few weeks ago in Philadelphia. Uh, there may be a cannabis reference or two in there as well. Second up is Tim Dick's annual State of the VC Industry Talk, which he has given for the last few years, uh, and to my knowledge at least, uh, fantastic data and analysis with both the Silicon Valley and Honolulu perspectives. Uh, Tim's slides will be on SlideShare, so we'll make sure and link those in the show notes. And uh, after those two presentations, the remainder of the audio actually is a panel discussion Q&A uh, moderated by Melly, uh, just talking about the investor industry here and a lot of great info there. Stay tuned for the end where we bring Melly on the show to briefly talk about some takeaways from the event and what's coming up next for HVCA. So please enjoy this special episode, compliments of our friends at HVCA. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm Steve Markowitz. I'm an angel investor based here in Honolulu. I've been here for the past 14 years uh, doing angel investing. I also sit on the board of Hawaii Angels. I understand that I am the warm-up act and that Tim Dick is the main show. So feel free to continue dining and enjoying. I did go to um, Philadelphia a few weeks ago and had the opportunity to attend the Angel Capital Association for the first time in my angel career. Again, that I've been angel investing full-time for 15 years now, 16 years now. Um, am I able to afford this? It was really, um, thank you. It was really a great event for me. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, again, throughout my career, I haven't had the opportunity to go and mingle with other angels all over the country, I was the sole representative of the state of Hawaii, uh, which was exciting and at the same time a bit disheartening. I'd like to see more of our members come along on, on this peace train. West Coast. West, we'll, we'll so right, so next year this will be in San Francisco and I suspect a lot of us will, will go together. Last year was in San Diego, um, so Philadelphia apparently wasn't the, the big draw. Uh, really short presentation, hope to kind of encapsulate what I learned over the course of three days. I went to as many sessions as I could. Um, of course, I was choosing the sessions that appealed to me, so this information I'm sharing with you is information that's coming through this lens. Um, 
some takeaways that, that I had. Uh, this slide, you can view it from the perspective of an entrepreneur, you can view it from the perspective of an angel, as I do. Um, first point, really simply, no matter how much a group of angels invests in the seed round, they end up getting about 23% of the company. So from the perspective of an angel, um, we should you know, invest as, as little as we can because the valuation is gonna be the same. From the perspective of a entrepreneur, you should try to raise as much as you can at a higher valuation because you're gonna be giving away about the same amount of the company. Um, so I knew that empirically, Shinoa's reported that from other meetings, but to hear it with your own ears and talk with people about it was interesting. Um, it's really important for us as angel investors to partner with VCs. And you can see the numbers on the screen that 70% of deals that have an outcome of more than getting your money back have a VC along for the ride on that deal. The VC will not characterize it as along for the ride. <laughs> Quite the opposite, they'll say, you know, angels were able to join us. But uh, this should be important. Again, I know that we have a kind of a cross-section of people in this room from angels to VCs to um, entrepreneurs to members of the community. Uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective, this should be important. The, the message is don't just bring angels on board. If you're looking for a big return, you probably ought to have uh, VCs coming along. Again, I, I sit on the board of Hawaii Angels. We're an angel group uh, here. We are the angel group here in um, Honolulu and Hawaii. We have 70 members. We invest about one to two million dollars a year. Um, the important message that I heard loudly and clearly uh, at the conference was, we can't go it alone. So just giving you empirical data from uh, across the United States, the average deal size uh, in the US is $1.2 million. The median, where half fall above and below, is $850,000. Yet the average angel uh, group, when they come in, invests about a quarter of a million dollars. So again, no, no difficult math required. There is a big gap. And if that gap doesn't go filled, we are doing a disservice to the company and ultimately the company will be underfunded and failed. Uh, the message then is we as an angel group here in Hawaii need to partner with other angel groups to get these deals filled and make sure that our companies are served well. And again, we as angels are served well uh, because our companies succeed. I was able to kind of uh, sense the major trends at the conference. Uh, through my lens again. It's pretty clear that angels are investing in wider geography. That's very good for Hawaii. Uh, it means that we can attract deals that we weren't able to attract, or I should say attract capital that we weren't able to attract in the past. Goes to my last slide of uh, syndication. We can partner with other angel groups, and there are angel groups all across the country and around the world uh, to attract more capital to Hawaii. Angels are becoming increasingly specialized. So. Uh, I have specialization, I'm happy to talk about that. In fact, you'll see it in a later slide. Uh, other angels are investing in things like consumer internet, B2B, life sciences, medical devices. And so finding the angels, again, if you're coming at it from the perspective of an entrepreneur, that match uh, your profile is really important. And as angels, specialization tends to lead to better results uh, because you get to know the field, you get to know the, um, landmines, you get to know the opportunities. I'm going to sum up the uh, keynote speech of the um, ACA in my last slide, but one of the themes that 
I heard in that speech and I heard um, all throughout the conference is diversification. As angel investors, oftentimes uh, people enter angel investing and want to make one investment or two investments or five investments. Uh, a guy by the name of Harry Markowitz, not my relative, uh, <laughs> received a Nobel Prize for something called portfolio theory. Portfolio theory summed up by the layman is invest in at least 20 uh, investments to have a d diversified portfolio. That applies not only to stock market investing, but to angel investing. Deeper diligence um, is incumbent upon us as angels to really understand the companies, their management, their challenges, et cetera, before we make our investment. And we're doing a really great job of this here in Hawaii, but it hasn't been the case across the country and around the world, having females engaged in our community. And so you have Melly and Chanel, who I can point to at the VIP table. Uh, they represent a significant portion of the VIP table. Uh, as I said before, we all have specializations. Uh, I have decided to specialize in investing in legal cannabis as an industry. Uh, you get your chuckles out of the way. Uh, what was really exciting to me at this conference is that at the general session where we had 600 attendees, uh, legal cannabis was given a spotlight. Nothing else was given a spotlight. So it shows me that my investment theme for 2016 is um, on point. Now, I heard the chuckles, so I want to address it. This is not a lifestyle. This is an investment thesis. I, I see Vincent Kimura over there, you know, also uh, catering to this industry. Uh, this is an industry that is growing uh, like wild. Uh, we, ha we now have uh, legal medical cannabis in half of the 50 United States. Uh, we, you see the numbers on the screen. These are from uh, ArcView uh, Capital. ArcView Capital is an angel investing group for cannabis investors, of which I'm a member. Uh, the industry is growing rapidly, and by 2020 is, uh, is forecast to be at $23 billion. Now keep in mind that only 10% of the spend in the cannabis industry is legal. So this number, at least the 2016 number, is 10% of the actual market size. This is a, is a gargantuan market. I believe that we're on the right side of history. I see more chuckles, so maybe I should move along. But what is uh, what's worth noting here is that as an investor, we, or as investors, we can invest in familiar sectors. So if you have a background in tech or in life sciences or in consumer real estate. There are cannabis-related plays in all of those niches. I, I've invested in consumer brands associated with uh, cannabis. I've invested in seed-to-sale, uh, retail, growing, uh, all the way to uh, cannabis tech-related companies. So I think it's a really interesting sector. It's one in which we do have plays here in Hawaii. Um, Rob Robinson, sitting at the VIP table, is running a fund called Topaz Agro, in which I've also invested, uh, that has invested in a dispensary here in Hawaii, slated to open towards the end of the year. Uh, again, I knew that I was given the podium, so I decided to take it to share one of my investing themes. But now back to the scheduled programming. <laughs> I was really excited, excited and heartened to see Howard Morgan as the keynote speaker. I had the great pleasure of serving on the board of my company, MyPoints, with Howard Morgan for over five years, so I know him very well. He, if you don't know of Howard Morgan, is an extremely accomplished angel investor turned venture capitalist. He is the founder of First Round Capital, 
which now has $700 million under management and is also the uh, co-founder of Idea Lab. Uh, so Howard took the podium and his themes were somewhat familiar given what I've, I've already told you. Diversification, you've heard enough about that from me. Uh, speaking to those who are interested in angel investing, at least reserving half of what you invest for follow-on. That if you come guns blazing and spend all of your capital in the first rounds, when companies need more capital or when companies are in a great position and you want to deploy more capital, you won't have it. Uh, being rational rather than emotional. By the way, I, I gave a similar presentation to Hawaii Angels uh, last week, and I was accused of being emotional on the uh, cannabis slide. This not emotional at all. It's quite rational. I've done a lot of analysis, and everybody who knows me knows that I have. <laughs> Lastly, um, hopefully also coming across it in this presentation, passion. Passion is what it's all about. Being able to tell a story. This is guidance for entrepreneurs in the room. Being able to tell a story clearly being able to share your passion for your story uh, leads to investors having confidence in you and wanting to cut you a check. That's it for me. Uh, mahalo, and I now pass the torch to Tim. Great, oh, we now, we oh, no, not yet. Um, Tim, you're up. try to take this off the podiums, podiums and I don't get along well. Uh, can you guys hear me? Is that all right? Let's see if the clicker works. So this is going to be a little numbers heavy, but at the end of the day, this is kind of a numbers game and the numbers are what matters. So uh, this is an update to what we did last year and the year before. For So for those of you who are last year, the past couple of years, some of these slides will look very familiar, but there's a real different set of messages this year. So just a reminder of the venture capital funding cycle. We don't get our money out of thin air. We require, we require uh, institutions such as pension funds, endowments, and so on and so forth to invest in that. And we actually have some of those folks here in the audience today, including Vijoy Chatterjoy of HIERS, which is uh, we're proud to say is an investor in startup capital. We then invest in startups. Startups get exits, some of them at least. And we return that capital to our investors. That's how the cycle works. And if it's working well, it keeps going, and the pie gets bigger. So we're going to look at all of these pieces today. Can we go another slide? And this is not working. OK. Um, so there's some big changes. Um, uh, LPs are investing very strongly in VC, uh, more strongly than last year. Having said that, early stage venture investing is actually declining pretty heavily. Valuations are declining in all segments. We'll talk about that. And Silicon Valley and software still dominate, more so in, in fact than, than ever. Uh, we've got the strongest angel market in 15 years, and angel investing is still uh, in general, out of sync with VC, which has implications for both. Uh, the exit market is, to be perfectly honest, in a funk right now. We're hoping that's going to change, but we're not in control of that. So let's talk about LPs investing in, in VC. This slide goes back to 2005, so there's about 11 years of history. And as you can see in Q1 of this year, 
Uh, we're pretty close to all-time highs if you discount the dot-com era, which is not shown here. So LPs are strongly attracted to the venture capital uh, asset class uh, today because it's been producing good returns. So this is encouraging. The number of funds raised is strong. Um, it's, it's dipped a little bit here, so we've, we've got a couple of very large funds that absorbed some of the money there. But nevertheless, the message is LPs are investing in venture capital, which is good news for our entrepreneurs. And venture returns continue to exceed public market returns, which is why LPs are investing in ventures. The asset class is doing well. The asset class doesn't do well. Obviously, people won't invest in it. They'll invest in other things, and that hurts the startup community. All right, let's talk about stuff that's more near and dear to our hearts here. So about almost $60 billion of venture capital was invested in 2015. And the big peak you can see there actually is the dot-com boom. So you can see relative to that, we're about 50% of the dot-com era um, capital investment cycle. So this is a very, very strong uh, investing market. If you can't get funded today, maybe you ought to look at changing something in the deal. Oh. How would I describe it? I'm an investor. Um, <laughs> having said that, early stage deals have been in decline for almost a year. The big dollars are going into the late stage deals, and that's the yellow line, which you can kind of see is flat. That's the deal count itself. The dollars that are going into those deals are stupendous, and a number of the companies that you would recognize that are absorbing those uh, big, big dollars are things like um, Airbnb, it's uh, uh, Snapchat, it's Uber, and so forth. So, and they're absorbing hundreds of millions of dollars or even a billion dollars in a single round. But look at what's been going on in the, in the early stage venture capital market. It's, it's really on decline at the moment. So uh, there is a risk adjustment that's going on right now in the market that's preferring those later stage deals. So we'll see what happens, but this is not a great trend right now. It's good for us, right, because we don't see so much competition for deals, but it's not great for, for startups themselves. The deal sizes themselves are close to dot-com highs, and the bottom here is startup and seed, and you can see that the startup and seed type deals are you know, pretty close to $4 million at an average. That's a lot of money going into a seed stage, stage deal. Uh, early stage deals are averaging almost $10 million, and then the later stage deals are obviously uh, substantial 20, 30 million dollar averages. So the deal sizes are robust. Silicon Valley dominates venture capital. Um, none of us would have guessed that, you know, 10 years ago when Silicon Valley was about 35% of the, the deal flow, that by now it would be 50% or more. Steve Case is working hard on the rise of the rest. Um, but it, the overall trend is kind of the other way. Silicon Valley is becoming the Wall Street of venture capital. The best companies move there. Most of the capital is moving there. I don't know, quite frankly, uh, what can be done to, to change that or whether this is kind of a natural evolution of capital markets that the best companies and the best uh, financings wind up gravitating to a particular geographic center, whether it's London, New York, or in this case, Silicon Valley. Um, but it is what it is. is none of us can you know, do much to actually influence that. It's where the market is being made today. Uh, Hawaii's rebooting, I think, very successfully after the Act 221 era. Here we can see the, uh, you know, the deal count that was uh, spurred by the subsidy at that time. Uh, but I'm, I'm gratified to see that you know, we're kind of ticking along. And we've been in the modern era. I'm calling this a modern era now for about three years. 
Uh, and we'll talk a little bit later that I think government um, and the accelerators and the entrepreneurs are now really collaborating together very, very effectively. And it is going to take year, some time to, um, to uh, rebuild this because it doesn't happen overnight. But we're on a very, very healthy path at this point. In terms of dollars, software is eating the dollars. Software is eating the, the market, as, uh, as, uh, as Andreessen says. Uh, there is some blip in terms of consumer, but the consumer and the social and other kinds of things like that that are related to B2C sort of deals are in real decline today, and the big category is enterprise and business-to-business -business kinds of software. Uh, they tend to produce better returns, they tend to require a more sophisticated entrepreneur, and that's where the money is going. Valuations, I don't have a Q1 date on this, I looked and looked and looked. Um, Valuations have really come off uh, advertised. Now, this is an average valuation across all rounds, early to late. I don't have any disaggregated data on the valuations that's better than this. But as you can see, we're dropping from $68 million uh, pre average pre-money valuation to 28. That's a pretty, pretty big cut. Uh, and of course, we have to bear in mind that that includes all these stupendous deals like, uh, you know, Lyft and Uber and all these, you know, billion-dollar deals. So, what does that mean for the earlier stage deals? It means the valuations have probably decreased more than this average. Consumer products uh, have bumped up in terms of this is not dollars; this is the actual deals. Um, wait a second, is this a repeat slide? It is. Okay, sorry, I went backwards. Okay. Uh, and we can see this echo. This is disaggregated. Um, series B, there's no Series A here, is in blue. Uh, series C is green. Ser series D is, is orange. All of the round sizes have come down, which is <coughs> real important to think about in terms of the capital efficiency of, of your company. Uh, round sizes are down across the board. But round-to-round -round growth is healthy in the long run. So what we're seeing is return to the norm. We don't want to see a dip, obviously, below where it is. But we're seeing a return to the norm versus something that's genuinely depressing. So this is a bubble kind of coming back to Earth. So we have to hope that this really flattens out versus you know, continuing to, to decline. And that depends on exit markets and the overall sort of geopolitical health of the world. So those are macro factors that are kind of out of our control. Interestingly, down rounds are declining. At the same time, protective provisions like senior liquidity uh, preference and so forth are increasing. So it's less down rounds are happening, but there's tighter terms that are going on at these later rounds, which is kind of an intriguing con. So what does that tell you? Is venture capital, the BCs are still funding, but they're a little bit nervous. So we've got to watch that. So basically what we're seeing right now is a correction from you know, the, the highest ever peak since the dot-com era. Uh, will this correction continue to turn into a, uh, a real decline? We just don't know. A big factor is that the exit markets, which we'll look at next, are kind of closed. There were no venture IPOs in Q1, and there were very few decent uh, M&As. So everybody's looking at that rather nervously and hoping that some of these existential um, geopolitical uh, kind of threats actually, you know, clear the market there. Brexit is, is very heavily on people's mind, minds and so on and so forth. So those are, again, out of our control, but they do matter, amazingly enough, to even early stage startups. Um, 
So the venture markets, the valuations are normal, normalizing. Most funded companies today have revenue and growth, and there is a real new focus on revenue, 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 as opposed to um, you know, eyeballs and other kinds of, like th of things like that. So the metrics of success, the metrics of funding are much more tied to revenue again now, as they typically do when we get out of kind of um, you know, euphoric periods. Um, the business models tend to be more sophisticated and more capital efficient, and we'll talk about that a little bit in terms of how it applies to Hawaii. Um, and the sectors are, are more tech heavy. So again, there's more technical content in the deals today, more vertical content in the deals that, than the social period that we've been through. Let's talk about angels. I'm, I'm not going to duplicate Steve's too much. Uh, but angel funding is at a very high level, highest level in years. Lots of money going in, lots of deals. Um, deal valuations are strong, but they are also indications that they're falling as well. Um, but the sectors uh, are overall actually pretty disconnected from what VC is investing in, which has implications if you're an angel and you're investing in a sector that VC doesn't really investing in, you've got to look to other sources of capital to get those deals done. Uh, project funding and crowdfunding, Kickstarter is still the, uh, the elephant there. Um, and Lending Club is still the big guy, although they've got a lot of problems right now on the, uh, on the debt side. And Angel.co is the largest equity kind of crowdfunder at 160 million. So that's a real success story. There's a lot of deals that are actually getting done, and they're evolving into a fund of funds uh, and have actually now a $400 million direct war chest. So they're actually kind of turning into a fund themselves and are co-investing and cherry picking. Uh, the unaccredited investor um, equity crowdfunding has clarified. Uh, but it's still nascent and there's no dominant platform yet and we haven't seen a lot of real notable deals coming out of that area but that area of unaccredited investors being able to invest in uh, in startups uh, is now open for business it is very very administrative administratively complex in terms of the requirements and the startups and the investors but it is open for business finally uh, the round sizes in angels are at an all-time high is the mean and the median uh, sizes uh, today. And I don't have Q4 data for you. I'm sorry, it's just not, yet, not there yet. But I think the trend probably was still up at this point. Steve, you might have still up, probably. OK. Um, and, uh, and the valuations uh, similarly. So three and four million um, you know, pre for an average angel size, that's, that's certainly higher than I've ever seen it, which is an indication of real health in that market. Um, the dollars are much more democratic, uh, unlike venture capital, where half of it's in Silicon Valley. It's roughly proportional to the number of people that live in a given area. Uh, and we see that here in, in Hawaii as well, sort of in general. Um, but it does you know, have implications uh, for where you're going to get the next round after you come out of, a, of, an, of, uh, of an angel kind of funding if you're not in an area that has a lot of VC. Uh, this is the mix of... of uh, of deals, and I'm, I'm not going to belabor this. It's simply too complicated. The slides are up on SlideShare, and Melly will distribute them later. Um, but the bottom line is there's a lot less software and a lot more you know, kind of healthcare, commercial, and other than venture capital. Um, uh, is that a problem? Um, not really. Uh, if you're not looking for dollars that are coming after uh, your angel investment, if you are looking for um, capital after your angel investment, it is pretty important to look at where the venture industry is investing, and it's pretty different from this. And um, we don't really know why. 
Uh, we don't know whether it's angels are investing in concepts they understand. Uh, they're investing proportional to the applicant pool, the companies that are coming to the door. They don't know about VC funding patterns. It could be a combination of all of these or other things. Uh, one thing that is kind of interesting is that um, you know, what do people read about in the general press around the country, around the world? They read about these giant um, IPOs of various, of various kinds of companies. And that does, I think, create some observational bias because you, you think that the average company is Air, Airbnb or it is Uber. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, so we don't really know why that is. I think it's more in sync here in Hawaii because the, the angel community is tied so closely to the startup and the, and the venture uh, community, but that's not true overall. Finally, exits. Where are we going to get the money back? Um, the M&A market is definitely off highs. That's the red line. And as you can see in Q1 in 2016, IPOs is a big goose egg, which hasn't happened uh, since 2008. So we just have to wait and see. It might be a goose egg uh, uh, in this, uh, this coming quarter. Maybe one, maybe two, but it could be a goose egg again. We just have to wait for some of these you know, events like Brexit to, uh, to clear for the market. That has actually affected a couple of our portfolio companies, which is annoying to say the very least. Sorry, Vijay. Um, the exit valuations have also declined pretty precipitously, um, as you can see, bouncing along. And they're right down here, which is, you know, we're looking in terms of the market sentiment from venture there like it's 2008. Um, so again, the economy, both here and worldwide, is not anything like 2008. But there are big risks that are out there that people are nervous about. They're nervous about the China debt situation. They're nervous a little bit about some of the Europe, although Greece is clearing. They're nervous about Brexit. Until those things kind of clear up, I think the markets are going to be in a bit of a pucker. And that's it. So um, what does the wheel look like? Um, LPs put about $20 billion into venture. Venture put almost $60 billion into investment. So that's kind of an imbalance, right? So we got $20 billion into the venture community, but the VCs invested $60 billion into the market. So clearly that's going to rebalance. And that's probably also part of what's going on, right, is there's a lag effect here. Um, there's $90 billion in, vent in venture excess. This is for 2015. That's not this year. So that's a nice return to the LPs. And I think we've seen that coming back in 2016 with a very healthy reinvestment into the venture community. So we hope this kind of rebalances. Um, I'm going to skip this slide. I'm going to spend a little bit more on about, about Hawaii. So what does this mean for Hawaii? Um, we're tracking about 150 startups in Hawaii today from concept to near venture ready. And in our purview, there's are somewhere around uh, eight companies that could be close. Not all of them are obviously going to make it. Um, but this is pretty exciting to us. And we're pretty close to actually doing our second Hawaii deal right now. We're in the final stages of that. And it probably will close in a month or two. Um, we're 0.3% of the US population. So we think the long run potential here is for five to 10 new deals per year. And so, of course, those deals would continue to pile up and stack on top of each other. So th this is encouraging to us. Why do I say 5 to 10? Sounds like a big range. 5 if we assume that Silicon Valley continues to be half of all venture capital. 10 if it turns out that Steve Case is right and the rise of the rest and Silicon Valley kind of just turns into another market. Realistically, I think it's going to be 5 and Silicon Valley is still going to be Silicon Valley. Um, the state is now really doing the right things to reboot the ecosystem um, after 221. 
um, we need to continue on that path. We'd obviously like to encourage the state to do more. Um, you know, great effort this year. Hopefully we can get some more results next year. But the state really is doing the right things and really trying hard from, from the governor on down. Um, and there is real potential for significant um, high wage job, job growth of these, as the accelerators mature, as the companies mature, and so forth. So we're very excited about that. So what do we want to see more of? Vertical experience is key to world-class startups. London is the world's capital for fintech, right? Because it's got the largest financial services sector on the planet. And there are literally rocket scientists in London that are starting very, very sophisticated plays, such as TransferWise, which actually had another round just today. Um, we need more startups coming out of Hawaii's uh, um, um, centers of excellence where sophisticated people with deep knowledge of the industry start sophisticated startups that solve difficult problems in those industries. Uh, energy, a natural energy accelerator is a great example of that. Agriculture, travel and tourism, healthcare IT, uh, and dual use, which is things like uh, cybersecurity and networking. Um, these are communities that we actually don't see today very well represented in this room and other places. But this is where Hawaii's most fertile fields are. And we need to figure out a way to energize that through executives in those, those companies and otherwise. So that's something that um, we're thinking about a lot and trying to think about how we can, how we can catalyze. Is that, that's sort of MIA today. And that's it. Thank you, Tim. All right, so I'd like to have our panelists please um, head to the table. And then we're gonna head over to Meeting Sift. And if you guys could all head back over to sift.ly and enter how you would describe yourself. And please try to just stick to the options that we give you. Looks like we have quite a bit of entrepreneurs in here. And then second up, investors, that makes sense. All right, so let's go to the next question. And just so you know, if you do have questions for the panelists today, we will only be accepting questions via Meeting Sift. So if you haven't logged in and hope to have a question, uh, might as well do it now. Okay, um, well, I'll get started. So first up, we have Vijay Chatterjee is the Chief Investment Officer for the State of Hawaii Employees Retirement System, HIERS and reports directly to the Board of Trustees and the Executive Director. His role involves investment policy construction, portfolio management, asset allocation, and strategic development of the investment office. Additionally, Mr. Chatterjee oversees monitoring HIERS's investments and evaluation of risk return opportunities. And I also have to add that he is an alumna of my alumna, or my university, Cornell, so thank you. Enjoy. Sure. Um, so he's going to be speaking for about three to four minutes on um, their role um, in, in the ecosystem and, and what you're up to these days. Okay. Um, aloha, everyone. Uh, Melly, thank you very much for having me. It's always fun to, to come out and be with venture capitalists and investors because especially this part of the market, um, people are so upbeat and have such a positive view of the future. And, and since uh, I oversee a multi-asset class um, 
portfolio, you can imagine that you know talking to uh, to bond guys, uh, they're they're usually quite negative on on the way of the world, and so it's always refreshing to come in and spend time with the venture folks. And in fact, I was in uh, Los Angeles uh, for a conference a couple weeks ago, and someone came up to me and said, "I think of you as a disruptor," and uh, and it was a positive thing. So I was happy to to know that and. Uh, I think the reason why he thought, thinks of us as a disruptor is what's going on in the, the ERS portfolio, which is that we are putting a risk lens over our asset allocation framework. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that here, but it suffice to say that what we're trying to do differently with the ERS is to think about the downside, think about risk and allocate accordingly. So whether that's the stocks, bonds, private equity, real estate, um, we, we have this sort of uh, approach that, that people kind of see as new and innovating and a little bit uh, forward thinking in terms of the way to structure a large institutional um, portfolio. And part of that also includes an increased allocation to our private market investments. So that includes venture, that includes private equity, includes real estate. We're looking, in the case of, of, of non-core real estate, to double our exposure there. And in the case of private markets or private equity, we're looking to really triple our exposure um, to what we have today. And, and that does include venture, although I have to be honest with you, in the, since we've been investing in venture and also um, uh, private equity uh, since the late 90s, uh, we probably had too much exposure to venture, and so we're very selective in kind of how we're, we're going forward, knowing that you never want to stop investing to any particular class, including venture, because you just don't know if, uh, if this is the right vintage year or not. So we continue to, to build out our private market exposure in our primary um, private equity venture uh, fund, but then also we have a, a, a separate fund that I think people are aware of that uh, focuses on venture investments in Hawaii. That's the high tip program. That's how I'm invested with the, the startup fund and, and some other um, mainland um, um, venture capital funds that have been coming to the islands over the last few years. This high tip program was an outgrowth of a uh, of 2007-2008 legislation that then the Board of Trustees at the ERS um, um, shaped into this high tip program. It has approximately 25 million that was dedicated to the um, to the effort, and that money has all been committed at this point to about seven funds and one co-investment. Um, uh, Tim's area, his fund, they're still making investments. Some of these other funds have have sort of stopped, but. Um, we're hoping that, uh, you know, we're going to evaluate whether the ERS should have a follow-on fund, you know, maybe of comparable size or larger size. Uh, that decision hasn't been made yet. Um, I, I'll just share that at this point, I think people uh, on our board have been pleased with the overall return, which are investments in Hawaii and outside of Hawaii, um, but it's still fairly early to make that evaluation. One, one area that we're, we're hoping uh, would have more of an impact is uh, sort of the direct investing into the islands. And I think we really only had uh, four investments up to this point. Um, and, but I'm, I'm hopeful, as, as Tim indicated in his presentation, he's about to make another one. And so that kind of helps that profile. And, and, and in any event, that'll give us more reason to kind of consider um, coming out with a, a high tip two uh, program, if you will. So why don't I stop there and come back. Awesome. Well, I think you um, answered all the questions I had, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you do you see um, things you know occurring now um, than, than did before, and 
And um, is the climate different now? I mean, I know you're saying you guys are considering doing a high tip too, but are there any other factors that are coming into a decision like that or the climate being different? So, um, so the way we've organized the high tip, I mentioned we have seven venture capital funds, but then we also kind of have a, a platform manager or a fund of fund manager, let's say for just that 25 million of the ERS's 14 billion that we invest in. So Stafford Capital has also been active coming to the islands and uh, they report to us that you know our, our program, they've looked at 600 plus sort of companies that are starting here. I think there may be 100 or so that, that they're still following actively. There's a little bit of overlap there with, with these seven funds, but not that much. So um, I think that, that that impact along with a lot of what other people are doing in the room to foster and develop, you know, I think Carl Fuchs liked to talk about that, uh, that, that on-ramp, you know, kind of going from the, 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 the angels or the garage, the angels, and sort of on to where an institutional investor can, can invest in. I think that's something that's very different than when we started the program, not just with the legislation, but even with our first investment, which was 2011. Um, it's, a, it's a very um, encouraging and different environment. And I think that's something that ultimately the board of the ERS will take into consideration if it decides to do a, a second fund. Interesting, thank you. Next up, we have Tim Deck. Um, Tim is the managing director at Startup Capital Ventures. He serves or has served or has served as the director of several of the firm's investments, including Playfab, Adama Materials, Silvertail Systems, acquired by EMC, Tag Array, acquired by MXIM, and TuneIn. He is also a limited partner in Advanced Technology Ventures. Tim serves as a chairman of the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Hawaii and is a board member of Highbeam. Tim, thank you. So you're going to have, although you do already have about 15 minutes, but maybe a few minutes on what Startup Capital Ventures is, is doing and how you play a role in the ecosystem here. Um, I'll try to make this uh, brief. Uh, so our fund invests in early stage companies, typically you know, after angel stage investments. So we're active with the accelerators here, including Blue Startups. Um, Donovan Kialoha is associate with us now, and he's full time. He ironically is in the mainline right now because he's uh, working hard on a deal. So this will be his second uh, second deal that he's captaining, which we're very excited about. Um, we invest in enterprise and business-to-business -business technologies, uh, and that's been true since the inception of the fund about 10 years ago. Uh, we very rarely do consumer-facing deals. Um, the valuations of those tend to be much higher beta than, uh, than enterprise uh, companies, uh, and the waves of adoption tend to be uh, shorter. Uh, so we've kind of stuck to our knitting, um, and that's the, uh, sectors like security, um, um, travel technology, fintech, and so forth. So, so we kind of stick to our knitting. Uh, we're very close to, I think, all of the deals here in Hawaii. We're tracking about 150 deals today, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, we think about eight of those are actually getting close to the point where uh, they'll be re venture ready. So we're really starting to see at this point um, a ripening of some fruit that have been on the vine for a long time, and we want to see that that pipeline of developments continues to stay to stay healthy. This, this is an exciting time for us. So I'm hoping that next year um, things look uh, much better, that we have a number of deals that are under our belt and we have even more that are, are kind of bubbling under. Thanks, Tim. Well, I happen to think that Steve Case is absolutely correct. There will be a huge rise of the rest. But with that in mind, how can we get more mainland firms investing in Hawaii? 
Well, Vijay, I think, alluded to, to one of the issues, which is incenting them to actually uh, do so, which is doing well by doing good. The funds that uh, ITIP has invested in so far have been good performing funds, as Vijay alluded to earlier. Um, during the beginning era of, um, of HITIP, uh, during its uh, inception, we didn't really have the infrastructure in place to provide robust deal flow to help the funds that are not based here see the kinds of deals and the kinds of companies and are able to watch them develop uh, over the period of their investment. Most funds have a 10-year lifetime, sometimes or two years of investment, but they invest pretty much all of their funds except for follow-ons within the first four or five years. So they're out of the investment period today. I think we've got with the accelerators, with ourselves, with boots on the ground, a much more robust feeder um, strategy for those, uh, those companies so that we can help them help introduce them directly to companies that fit their investing criteria. So I think it's a, a question of infrastructure and, and it's, a, it's a question of uh, the state and, and ERS and basically us all working together in the same vector that we're doing to today and waiting to see how those, how those fruit to, to develop. So. Thanks, Tim. All right, next up we have Steve Markowitz. A Honolulu-based entrepreneur and investor, he is a board member of the Hawaii Angels and lead mentor and limited partner at Blue Startups. Steve is a seed investor in Volta Industries and Green Chef, among others. He also is co-founder and chairman of B-Stripe, a high-growth consumer internet company headquartered in Honolulu. Prior to angel investing, Steve was co-founder, chairman, and CEO of MyPoints.com where he led the company's IPO on NASDAQ in August 1999. Under Steve's stewardship, MyPoints grew revenue to $64 million and achieved a peak public market value of $2.3 billion. Welcome, Steve. Thanks. So um, let's see. You've now heard my background. I think the question is, how am I involved in the community and what's my interest? Um, well, I think we heard about your interests. <laughs> <laughs> no, let, let me just. Um, Unfortunately, again, I we're, we're precluded from investing <laughs> in his interest. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it really brief. Uh, I have a six-year-old daughter, so I look twenty years out, and I want to see the rise of the rest in a very big way. I'd like to see Honolulu be on par with Denver. I'm sorry, Boulder, Colorado, Austin, Texas. These communities where there is a vibrant. Uh, technology and entrepreneurial bent because I'd love to be able to see my daughter complete her education either here or um, on the mainland and then want to, as you've done, Millie, come back to the Hawaiian Islands and have a career. Uh, that is my interest beyond what you all think my interests are. Uh, I, I'm a limited partner in eight venture funds, uh, five of them on the mainland. Uh, so I'm able to draw a lot of information and perspective from the quarterly reports that I receive from those ven venture funds and the annual meetings when I'm able to go. Um, I like to be able to serve as a bridge between mainland uh, entrepreneurship and venture capital and Hawaii, which I've been attempting to do for the 14 years that I've been here. Awesome, thank you. So I know, you know, as an accelerator, you reach and many of the accelerators, you know, looking when you get them investor ready, that next step is you're looking at the angels and especially the Hawaii angels. Um, so what can locals do to be more attractive to the angel to angel investment and, and specifically the Hawaii angel group? I have two thoughts on that. One is traction trumps everything. To the extent that you can demonstrate to angel investors or venture investors that your company is growing up and to the right by whatever metrics you define as those that uh, drive your company, that's going to help you gain interest from 
uh, angels and VCs. And secondly, because we have a dearth of capital in Hawaii, and I think it's fair to say we have a dearth of capital, unless companies like you know, Volta, which, which I backed, ultimately move to the mainland and raise more capital. If you're here in Hawaii, make sure you're building a business that's capital efficient, meaning it doesn't require a lot of capital, or make sure you have ties to big money. Thanks, Steve. Sure. Great thoughts. Next up, we have Omar Sultan, a founding and managing partner of Sultan Ventures and Accelerate UH, the University of Hawaii's award-winning venture accelerator. Omar is also VP of EF Hawaii, VP of Omar Pharma, and also helps manage the Upside Fund, a seed stage venture fund focused on commercializing University of Hawaii IP. He was recognized in 2015 by Hawaii Business Magazine, 20 for the next 20, and PBN's 40 under 40. Welcome, Omar. Thanks. So you have three to four minutes to talk about your world ecosystem. OK. Um, many of you already know uh, what the work that we do here, just like everyone else on this panel. So we are Sultan Ventures, the Upside Fund, and Accelerate UH. Sultan Ventures uh, helps run the Upside Fund, which is a seed stage venture fund that is run out of UH Foundation. Half the money from that fund came from the state, HSDC, and the other half came from the foundation. Uh, we can invest up to about $800,000 per deal. Through that work, we decided to form Accelerate UH so that we could help all of the earlier stage uh, technologies and entrepreneurs affiliated with the university help commercialize their businesses and at least have a successful launch, the best, best chance that they could have for a successful launch. That money, that, the money that funds the Accelerate UH program is 100% funded by the University of Hawaii system. And so that's a pretty big deal for a number of reasons. And also, in terms of a public university investing in its talent as well as its research, it's kind of tra trailblazing the path that other public universities in the nation are looking at UH now in terms of best practices. So we're really proud of that fact. Uh, we've been running the program for 18, 20 months. We've invested in 15 deals, which is pretty cool, all affiliated with the University of Hawaii, and we just accepted our fourth cohort, uh, which is our largest to date. We had over 100 applicants, 80, a little over 80 of which were all local companies. So the, the difference then is people outside of Hawaii who want to be uh, going through the Accelerate UH program. Our big sort of investment thesis, if you will, is focusing on training the the talent, right, local talent, um, and training it not in an academic sense, but in an entrepreneurial sense, so that they have best practices in terms of what investors such as these and ourselves uh, want to see in terms of what traction metrics uh, are appropriate and valuations, how and, and essentially how to become investor ready, right, whether it's an angel investor or a VC. So uh, we believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and that's why we kind of focus on that educational foundation. Great, thank you. So can you talk a little bit more about the national level, on a national level, on university tech and investments, and how are we positioned to take advantage of that? Are we lagging or leading? Sure, I'd, I'd like to actually take a step back for a second and talk about why it's important to focus on public research universities, right, in terms of national trends. So if you look at some of the largest, most profitable companies arguably in the world, they have some affiliation with universities, right? Google, Genentech, Microsoft, Facebook, all were affiliated with universities or um, in one way or another, right? So it makes sense to kind of focus on that. You look at innovation hubs around the country, around the world, again, innovation hubs occur around strong research universities. Uh, public research universities 
drive innovation districts in their locales. Um, in fact, you know, I thought it important to actually put some stats to this. So in 2012 and 13, more than 13,000 patent applications resulted from public universities, 522 startup companies, and over 3,000 intellectual property licenses. So you can understand the importance of focusing on a strong public research university. We're fortunate in that we have the University of Hawaii here in our backyard, which is top third in the nation in terms of the federal R&D dollars flowing into it. That's huge. That's $500 million a year of money flowing to the university to cre create these breakthrough innovations. So in terms on a national level, what are we seeing with university tech transfer and commercialization and investments? There's a shift. Before, you could create this like basic science research at universities turn it over to your tech transfer office, and some big company would come and license it. The likelihood of that happening is diminishing, and, it's dimin and that's occurring for a number of reasons. One, potential partnerships that occur with larger companies now, their preference is to partner with spin-outs, right? They want to work with startups. They don't want to just license the technology straight out of uh, a tech transfer office. They want to see metrics such as traction, right, and however you define that, as, as Steve said. So the best way to do that is to create a spin-out and then focus on actually getting those validations, right? Getting that sort of market uh, traction in whatever sense it is. I, I know I keep repeating that, but it's going to vary for, from industry to industry, and working with those spin-outs. The other thing that we're seeing is that um, there's a focus more on applied research and than basic research, right? And so that seems kind of intuitive. But from the federal level, there are more and more grant opportunities available for commercialization of research, as opposed to just doing basic science research. Um, and that's, that's a, a big deal. And you can see it with our SBIR programs, our SCTR programs, the NSF programs, NIH. They're all getting behind this sort of uh, movement. Now, in terms of whether we're lagging or leading, um, well, when we formed the Upside Fund back in like 2009, 2010, it was literally one of the first uh, seed stage venture funds associated with the university that was focusing on commercializing IP. Honestly, like one of the first. Um, now there's literally hundreds. So in that sense, we were trailblazing. When we formed Accelerate UH, or at least when we tried to form it back in you know, a year after the Upside Fund, again, there was no other university in the country that was looking at doing a venture accelerator. Uh, in fact, at the time, there was probably only a handful of venture accelerators, period, in the country. Um, even when we did launch in 2014, we were one of the first public universities doing a venture, a venture accelerator. Again, for a public university, we do, making investments into its people, into its research, and taking an equity stake, that's unheard of, right? Now we're seeing a few others start to pop up, and again, calling on the University of Hawaii to find out how it got set up over there. So uh, in those two examples, we're actually leading the way. If I, OK, I'll wait. <laughs> we I'm can on a roll. Out. I'm on a roll. All right, your last thing, and then you're not talking for a little while. OK, perfect. <laughs> so in other respects, we're kind of lagging, right? So here we have all of this good momentum that is building up. We have an entire community that is supportive of not just the work that we're doing, but also of some of the other accelerators in town, like Blue Startups and Energy Accelerator. Um, but the university needs to be able to stand on its own two feet. So, you know, and in respects of how we're lagging, well, there was a bill before this, before the ledge, this last uh, cycle, and it would help kind of remove some of those last remaining shackles at the university so that it could better commercialize uh, its technology and support its people in terms of making the investments. 
a vast majority of the community was very, very supportive of it. Obviously, they want to see the University of Hawaii continue to do the great things that it is, it is doing. Um, but there was some small opposition, and unfortunately, that got killed. And it got killed because people thought it was competing with the things that was going on at other entities within the state. It got killed because people thought that the university should focus on education and education alone. It shouldn't focus on commercialization. Um, so I guess for this next year, our focus is going to be on trying to understand better those positions because um, I do think that the future of education at all universities, uh, a core foundation of it is going to be entrepreneurship and uh, innovation. Thank you. I'm done. All right. Okay, so I want to remind everyone, if you do have questions, please go to sift, S-I-F-T dot L-Y, and log your questions in there. I just have a couple questions, and I'm hoping that the crowd's going to have a lot more. Right now, it seems that we only have five questions, so we're going to try to get through all of them. Okay, so my first question is, what is attractive about investing in Hawaii? And this is open to the panel. Yeah, let me just start by saying just generally, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in Hawaii. It's not only in the venture space, but some of the best performing retail stores, some of the best um, hospitality assets are in Hawaii. And there are a lot, not just in the venture, you know, we brought some funds here through the high tip program, but there's some, some, you know, national brand type investors that are coming to Hawaii and, and some of their best performing assets, even, even from some of these, um, these um, like retail owners and, and folks, they, they do tremendously well. And um, so there's opportunity here in our own backyard. And I know um, uh, the, the retirement fund is often seen as kind of, you know, we invest everywhere and anywhere because, you know, we're looking for the best returns. We've got these obligations. We've got to fund in the long term. And that is a, a primary kind of fiduciary responsibility. But I, um, we've done well when we've invested in Hawaii for the most part. And I think there, there are opportunities going forward. So um, just even beyond the venture space, I think that um, Hawaii has uh, some natural um, um, opportunities that, that uh, are unique here and um, you know maybe I'll let you talk a little more about in the venture more specifically. Um, yeah continuing on Vijoy's uh, thread one of the great things about Hawaii is it is a close-knit community. Um, the companies that we've invested in the companies that we're looking at we've typically known those entrepreneurs for one two three four years before they became venture ready so you really know the teams you know the people and you wind up with a lot of comfort with those entrepreneurs that's simply not true in big markets like Silicon Valley where uh, you know meet and greet to deal close is probably less than two months if you're lucky um, so it's also a very collegial and collaborative um, environment where entrepreneurs tend to help each other. One of the roles that we play, I think one of the roles that all of us play here, is that we try to introduce entrepreneurs to the resources they need, whether it's a fit for our investment opportunity or not. Uh, you just don't see that in other kinds of markets. So that's what you know makes it special for us, and I think that's what makes it special for uh, the entrepreneurs that are here. We genuinely try to help each other. There's a real sense of ohana here that just isn't, I've never seen this in any other market. They're just too big, they're too competitive, and so forth. All right, next question. Uh, oh, Michael. Sure, so I echo everything that was said. I do believe that the strong support network here is huge. Uh, obviously, University of Hawaii um, is a, a strong reason why it's attractive to invest here. Um, and then finally, the, actually the limited resources, like the traditional resources 
that's a reason why it's in, it's attractive to invest in Hawaii because we believe like with those limited resources, like there are strong opportunities for innovation. People get scrappy; they try to figure out workarounds, and uh, that can sometimes create some like really really cool innovations. Great, thank you. Next up, how do we get more investment in the state? I know I've asked Tim that already, but any other thoughts from the other panelists? Steve? I think it's all about success stories. Success begets success. And so to the extent that we have exits that are meaningful, we will attract capital. Thank you. All right, so what areas are you seeing hot in the startup industry nationally that you would like to see more local startups innovating in? It sounds like you're inviting the, uh, you saw my slide on legal cannabis. Uh, you all may know that California is voting in November on legalizing adult use. It most likely will pass. In 2010, it failed by three and a half percentage points. Tides of social change have progressed. Uh, I think that ultimately that means that on the federal level, uh, adult use legalization will happen. In Hawaii, we're very well positioned with our brand. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of innovation that can occur uh, as laws change. Very excited to see the future. Any other thoughts? Well, I alluded to this earlier, but one of the things that we don't see is engagement from the, um, the, the corporates where we have deep vertical experience. And, and that's where great startups tend to come out of. It, you know, the great startups that, aside from you know, the things like Facebook, Twitter, and so forth, well, Twitter is not started by 20-somethings are generally started by people who are in their 30s or their 40s who have a decade or more of experience in the vertical. And they find an innovation and said, this needs to be fixed. And they have the resources and they have, in, in many cases, the potential first customers that can help commercialize the, uh, the learnings they have. And so one of my missions for this year is to try to work in, in terms of uh, getting to some of the corporate executives in the verticals in which we are world-class as a market and to see if we can figure out how we can get those those markets to start producing some world-class sophisticated startups. So that would be another pillar in addition to UH obviously in the research side where you have world-class scientists that are producing innovations and as you know we invest in endowment materials for exactly that reason uh, but our industries are not you know our, our world-class industries are not producing startups today and we've got to figure out why. All right, last question for me, and then we're going to go to our audience questions. And we've got a decent amount of time, so we're going to try to really rapid fire and get through all of them. Um, glass ball question, what do, you, what do you foresee the next five years looking like? Two sentences max, each down the line. Omar, we'll start with you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, next five years, I we see, well, we've kind of coined this term efficiency, if you will. Right, so we see a lot of innovations occurring around themes of the limited re resources, right? So an example of that would be um, dual use in the case of military. It would be um, sort of aquaponics or aquaculture in the terms of the limited land. It would be uh, sort of more efficient uses of energy, right? So not necessarily new re renewable energy resources, but diminishing the actual amount of energy that is currently being used, so. Steve? You know, when I started my company back in uh, 1996, it cost millions of dollars to get an internet company off the ground because you actually had to buy Sun Microsystem servers and you had to have connectivity routed into your office. Uh, that's not, you still have to have connectivity, but meaning T1 lines, et cetera, all of that's not necessary anymore. You can go turn on a server at Amazon Web Services and you can have 
you know, your typical internet connection, what I'm trying to say, costs have come way down. So I think we're gonna see more and more entrepreneurship and assuming that we have some of those success stories that I, that I alluded to earlier, I think uh, this is gonna be a boom for Hawaii. Five years, 10 years. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I agree with that. And we've got uh, other resources that are starting to germinate as well, such as um, Russell Chang's Dev League, which is, I think, just graduating its 12th class. I was blown away. And I'm really, wow. really impressed with uh, what Russell has done with that organization and the candidates that are coming out. So we have uh, a growing cadre of, of software coders that can make, take ideas. Uh, and via resources like cloud resources, which weren't you know, possible, as Steve alluded to, and we were doing our startups, um, the ability, you know, the connection between your great idea and getting it implemented has never been uh, lower. So it really comes down to the great experience, the great idea, and the ability to turn that into a software platform. And Hawaii is at an advantage or a disadvantage as anywhere else in the world when it comes to that. So um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see more great companies coming out. I, I guess for me, I always have to kind of admit that I don't know what the future holds because the markets always kind of um, school you on when you think you, you know what's going to happen. But if I were to, to have a hope for the next four or five years in terms of where the, the opportunity in Hawaii would be, I think it would be in solving kind of issues that, that we face as a, as a society and, and, and so addressing things like alternative energy, addressing things with like how, uh, you know, our transportation system, I would think that there are these gap, these opportunities that are somewhat unique to Hawaii, but not entirely unique to Hawaii, that should be fertile ground for um, new ideas and new companies to, to, um, to start. So um, I, I would hope that would be in the next five years. Thanks, Vijay. So now we're going to move over to uh, meeting SIFT, and, and we've got about 18 minutes left, so we're going to try to be quick so we can get through as many as possible. So the first question is, all right, what role do you think Enbloom should be playing? Is it currently fulfilling that role? Let's start off with that one. Too. I'm just getting these. <laughs> I think you should be playing the same role. Sorry. Is, is Lauren here? Yes, she is. <laughs> Lauren, do you want to come and take this question? Okay. Go ahead. Um, I think you should be playing the same role that's similar to Tim and Startup Capital Ventures, right? There should be, or they are, a seats, uh, Series A fund here in Hawaii. So I'd like to see them or the role that they should be playing is the one that they're currently playing and maybe perhaps becoming more active in fulfilling that role. Do you want um, all of us to answer? No, that? you don't have to answer. <laughs> yeah, I've got no problem with Bloom, and I think Lauren's doing a great job. I completely agree. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's move on to the next question. How much value have each of you deployed in Hawaii companies in 2015? I think we have a no filter. We're just going through. All right. In terms of a monetary value, capital? How much capital? So, so let me let me take a stab at that. I don't know about 2015, but in terms of this high tip program that that uh, that I've mentioned. Um, you know, the commitment is uh, uh, 25 million. And again, that's not all coming into Hawaii. That's sort of 
um, of move, you, know, you know, can invest here and can invest elsewhere. I mentioned we have four investments that, that we've made into the islands for several million dollars. But on top of the, the money that the high tip program has brought in, they're, I guess, tangible in terms of like additional dollars that these uh, seven funds have brought to the islands. And our, our um, consultant in that area, uh, Stafford, estimates there's another 127 million that has come in through those funds to the companies that they invested in. So there's sort of these um, multiplier effects by the ERS putting in that 25. Um, but um, also beyond that, I, I, I've been told that there are other kind of um, intangible effects of having those sort of uh, venture folks coming into the islands and providing consulting, providing an ear, and in that way, I guess, uh, you know, maybe creating value. If, since the value is not defined, I'll count that as value. Uh, we invested uh, 800000 last year in, uh, in one Hawaii company, which unfortunately promptly moved to the mainland. They do have one person who is still here, which is uh, the companies need to do what they need to do. Um, overall, in Hawaii, since inception, we've invested a little over $7 million in Hawaii companies. And we're looking at, uh, we can see a couple of companies, maybe as many as three, somewhere between one and three new companies in Hawaii uh, this year about three quarters of a million dollars, and the majority of that is in a company that I co-founded with Aaron Lovelace, who's sitting over there, called B-Stripe. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but close to 350,000. Right. All right, so let's go to the next question. How, okay. <laughs> I know I just read that one. Well, um, okay. How could we increase our deal flow in Hawaii? What resources are still needed? I think we. I think there's a ton of deals out here. I mean, we alone are tracking 150 companies. Um, I think the the challenge is we're not tracking that many companies that are as sophisticated as they need to be in the verticals that they're in. So it gets back to uh, entrepreneurs with more experience in the kinds of arenas that they're, they're starting up. So I don't think there's a lack of raw deals, but it is, um, you know, I'm excited about uh, Omar's effort, the Sultan Brothers' efforts in uh, at University of Hawaii. I'm excited about the accelerators. It's, it's higher quality deals rather than simply more of them. I wonder if the question where it's phrased deal flow means capital into Hawaii or deals as in? Startups that are investment ready. Yeah, um, I, I think it is, so first off, we do have a lot of deals as everybody's noted, but we don't have a lot of follow-on capital, so we're able to fund the early rounds and the companies end up leaving. If I were an entrepreneur thinking about coming to Hawaii, that would scare me away. So I think a big part of solving that problem is also solving the problem of follow-on capital, to which I don't have the answer. <laughs> but Vijoy might. Well, I, I mean, I, what, yeah, one thing that, that I've heard from our funds that we've uh, brought in through the HITIP program is that there are a lot of great ideas here, a lot of kind of good startups, um, but yeah, sort of how um, having the, the acumen to commercialize it and to make it a real going business is where they kind of um, 
then fall back and, and aren't able to make the investment. And they can provide advice, but you know, obviously the venture capitalists have their, their day job. They can do so much. And uh, so that's what I hear is sort of the stumbling block to getting more deals done in Hawaii and more startup money coming here. All right, next question. All right. Is there a trend for industries that have been successful in raising seed rounds in Hawaii? I think I think the trend in industries that have been successful here are the ones that are built upon regional our regional strengths, right? So, short answer, but it's kind of to the point. Okay, next question. <laughs> For each panelist, can you describe a company you invested in? and have high hopes for being the next big thing? These are unfiltered questions, so it's as if the mic's just being passed around. <laughs> <laughs> kind of diminishes the point of life set, but OK. <laughs> well, they're a little filtered. Omar, you're our lead off. Yeah. Um, right behind you. Well, some of the ones that we're really excited about are the ones that are transformational. So Comprendio, that's one that's gone through Blue Startups and us. They're an ed tech platform. They're literally changing the way that uh, education is taught and how le learners learn new material. So it's all about knowledge transfer. Another one that, you know, if, if they hit even half of their marks could be the next big thing and it's more of optics. So you have a group of astrophysicists that are used to building uh, the world's most advanced and largest telescopes, and they've taken some of that technology and applied it to the solar industry. Great, thank you. Next question. Oh, wow. Nobody gets to follow? Oh, sorry. Each panelist, sorry. Yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to two of my companies. First off, you've already heard me point over across the room to Aaron Lovelace at B Stripe. If you guys aren't familiar with B Stripe, B Stripe is operating a privacy enhanced search engine called SearchLock. You can find it at searchlock.com. It's very, very cool, and it's been growing like crazy. Uh, secondly, uh, it was mentioned earlier, I'm an investor in Volta Industries. Volta has electric vehicle charging stations with big sponsored advertising on both sides of the stations. The company has expanded to California, Nevada, Illinois, Florida. It's killing it. And shout out to, to uh, Volta. Well, the company we most recently invested in started out as Happy Hour Pal and is now known as Area Metrics, and that's the company that we invested in late last year. Donovan Kialoha led the deal. He's on the board, and they are now based, ironically, in uh, in Seattle. But they need to do what they need to do, uh, given the large contract they have with uh, with a major uh, with a major client. So we're very excited about that. Um, that with that is the sixth Hawaii company we've invested in over our uh, total investment history, where we've done we put about seven million dollars into. Hawaii startups and where they're everywhere from um, cybersecurity, White Hat security, to uh, Switchfly, which started out as Viata back in 2000, then became EasyRes, and that company is now doing about 45, 50 million dollars in revenue. Um, just got a big round, uh, so we're excited. I mean, that's a great example of a very sophisticated travel technology company that started from its travel tech roots. Their innovation, which we in this room all enjoy today, 
is real-time booking of real inventory uh, from hotel rooms to flights to uh, rental cars. Uh, they're not a consumer brand. They're a back-end engine. How do they do it? They started out as a, a spin-out of a, of a travel company here, and they realized that when you were trying to book a hotel room, you actually weren't booking a real hotel room. You were booking some phantom inventory. So what did they do? They said, we'll connect to the property management system at the individual hotel if that's what it takes to get the real-time inventory. And pretty soon, they had done a hundred different PMSs. And they did, and so that turned into what we all enjoy today. And that's a great example of sophisticated players coming out of an industry, recognizing a problem, and knowing how to solve it, and doing it. And it's been a great success. Uh, so for the ERS, we're actually invested in area metrics through um, startup, and we're also invested in, in Volta through Epic Ventures. So. Uh, would like to see both of those companies do well, obviously. And um, I guess just a more thematic in terms of, you know, where, where I would hope, uh, you know, we can, uh, whether it's in Hawaii or elsewhere, uh, make some, uh, you know, find some good companies. I'm not sure in our portfolio specific names, but, you know, certainly in, in cybersecurity, I think that's an area. And um, Hawaii kind of sitting where we are in the Pacific and sort of between Asia and the United States, I think there's some opportunity there. We've got a lot of sort of military and, and, and folks here so there's opportunity, I think, to, to create great companies around providing um, secure um, web and internet access. The other thing I sort of was on the mainland at a conference I mentioned, and uh, I saw an interesting presentation about kind of these, uh, these uh, m making um, video games as kind of a, almost like a sports league. And uh, we're not necessarily invested in anything like that yet, but it is an intriguing idea that you can build franchises and a league around these sort of um, live events, if you will. And Hawaii, as you know, is, is a great place for live events because we've done extremely well with the Ironman, with Xterra. Those are events, I don't know if you know what, what happened with the Ironman, but um, we're actually invested in a private equity group that invested um, in Ironman a few years ago. They bought it from a dentist in Florida for however many million, maybe 100 million, 80 million, and there was a 30-person shop running the Ironman. Uh, this was like, you know, 10 years ago, and they just sold it last year to a Chinese company that now owns the Ironman um, for $900 million. So that's kind of in our backyard, and that's sort of opportunities to, I, I don't know if that's really a, a startup, but it really was like a, a garage sort of operation in some ways, and they built it up and, and sold it as a, as a major, um, business. It, hel it helps to have deep-pocketed Chinese investors, though, but uh, if that's your out, but we can get them. We're excited that there's a new kind of informal hui of uh, security folks uh, based in, in Maui at uh, the HTDC facility uh, out there. Um, and Jeremiah O'Brien, who is the founder of White Hat, is back and kind of anchoring part of that. So we're looking forward to seeing what comes out of that, because it is a set of sophisticated players that really know what's going on in the security world. And so that's something that we're, again, you know, kind of monitoring and very excited about. And that can become a great cluster for Hawaii. Great. So next question, can we do a better job at educating policymakers? Yes. <laughs> okay, next question. Are they educable? I hope I so. I agree. <laughs> I'm on board. I'm going to say no comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. 
Actually, no, I think we should follow up. There was an effort that took place um, this year around the legislative session, which I, I don't think has, has ever come together before. Pretty much every organization that's around the startup um, universe uh, was deeply engaged. Uh, the state put some resources behind it. Uh, uh, Lauren Premiano uh, helped a lot as well as Carl and his organization. And I think there was a real effective lobbying effort that happened. We didn't get all of the, um, you know, the, the bills that we hoped for, but it definitely made a bigger impression upon legislators than it uh, has in the past. Um, and that effort will continue again next year. And so eventually the messages will start to, uh, to go home. Uh, so I think that educational effort has, you know, really kicked off in a substantive way this year, and I think it'll be even more effective next year. So it is, I think there is something worth talking about there. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the who, uh, Lauren and Sarah and Robbie, um, they all did a great job of kind of getting the industry together. And um, we did the, the startup, was it Walk Around the Capitol? Um, and also engaging the Chamber of Commerce which I think was really beneficial. And we're going to be looking at doing a luncheon around the legislative agenda for next year earlier so that we can start um, organizing uh, before January. So um, OK, next question. What are the biggest challenges we should solve to have a more vibrant innovation community? And we keep kind of talk, asking the same question in different ways, but that's cool. All right, let's keep moving. How involved do angel investors want to be in the business? I think it totally depends on the angel investor. And my MO is I like to invest. Um, I like to be the first investor in a company. I like to invest between 100,000 and half a million bucks or more. And therefore, you should expect the answer. I want to be really involved. Uh, others who are members of our Hawaii Angels group, they're cutting checks for, say, $25,000 a deal. They don't want to be involved at all. They simply want to have updates and you know, if they're talking with the CEO, have their voice heard, but they don't want to come in and, and dirty their hands. So I think there are different uh, angels with different agendas. Uh, so it really depends on who you decide to partner with. Okay. Um, how can we get more local institutions to invest here? continuing to, to build upon the momentum that we are uh, starting to have, right? So the more people that can rally behind existing efforts as opposed to trying to create uh, their own initiatives, I think uh, that would be a great way to get more local institutions involved. I think some of what you described in terms of reaching out to policymakers and better um, seeing the success stories and understanding the eco environment in terms of how far this um, the the venture world has come in Hawaii, I think is a story that that could be um, told and that that'll that'll attract capital here and yeah. keep capital here too. And we need some more good exits too. So I'm cautiously optimistic that there are a couple that are in our portfolio that will uh, have exits either this year or next year. A simple, but a simple yet polarizing answer, I stand by it though, is tax credits. Tax credits will take institutions off the sidelines and get them to invest capital. Great. Um, so I know we already asked this question, but the hottest startups and what you to invest in it, but I think what you guys have all named, one that you've done, but anything that you'd like to mention that you might not be involved with. How do you see Hawaii as ever being able to retain its most promising startups? I do. 
I feel as though if there were a capital base here to support those startups through their stages of development, the startups would stay. At least people I know who've moved off-island to pursue uh, the growth of their startup would have liked to have stayed here. They've chosen to go where they've chosen to go because they're following the, the money. I think as the overall pie grows and we get more ingredients into it, people will be able to, you know, companies will be able to stay here responsibly longer. We need, you know, more uh, developers, uh, more talent, more money, uh, more of everything. But as that pie grows, it just makes it a better place to, to stay. I agree with both of those. I mean, we did a chamber talk and we had this slide where we sh showed all of the activity prior to accelerators, the number of accelerators that are in Hawaii, I think it's like seven, and then the number of Series A funds is two. So you can see why there is this progression as to, um, you know, a lot of startups leaving Hawaii to continue with their growth and capital elsewhere. So that, you know, that can be changed. It's a larger um, issue, I think, in some cases, beyond the scope of the discussion here. But, you know, for, for us at the ERS, you know, attracting talent, like, say, in the investment office, um, just generally, you know, whether it comes to startups or, or, or is in the business community, is like, you, you know, we, there's a lot we have to do to just make Hawaii uh, uh, more livable. Um, the basics that I sort of say to attract people is you've got to be able to compensate people in a way or give them a lifestyle that they can own a home and they can, um, you know, send their kids to get the best education, whether that's public or private school, um, if, they, if they choose to. And, and I think uh, so that larger ecosystem uh, besides, and I agree with the, the answers about capital and, 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 and what have you and the opportunity to kind of grow, um, this is a bigger, bigger issue is that, you know, how do you just retain talent in Hawaii? Okay, next question. This is our last question. How do you decide on follow-on investments? Traction. You heard me say earlier, traction trumps everything. If companies are showing the right growth curve, why wouldn't you deploy more capital? If they're not, you have to spend more time really thinking about it. All right. I agree. Okay. For us as an as institutional investor, um, the default is generally to, to follow, particularly in good times uh, or particularly in bad times if you need to do an inside round. Uh, obviously, that doesn't continue forever. Uh, but a venture fund will typically, um, you know, retain two to three times its uh, first investment for follow-on funding. Uh, we do think that's important. Uh, we think it served us well, and it's the typical modus operandi for most venture funds. Uh, it is more variable with angels uh, because they have different predilections in terms of how they like to invest. Uh, but VCs tend to be more predictable in the fact that they will always strongly reserve for their investments, and the tendency is to typically invest unless things are really pretty dire. I think the other big thing outside of traction, which you've heard repeatedly, right, because um, we want to see that trajectory going up, is uh, looking at who else is in the deal, right? So if we've invested at the first stage, the likelihood of solely investing at the second stage is much lower, right? And it's obvious that should be obvious why that's the case right because we want these companies to be able to attract outside capital as well we want them to be appealing and attractive to other investors and so you kind of get this little bit of a red flag if that's not the case so the the stronger likelihood of follow investment i think occurs when others are in the deal as well 
It's not always an up round. Uh, it might be a down round. Uh, it might be a washout. There might be management changes. Um, but uh, in general, you do want to try to save your investment, even if it requires making tough choices. Great. Well, I'd like to thank our panelists for being here today. So thank you. And I'd also like to thank everyone here for coming to our May luncheon. And our next one is June 23rd. So thank you. Have a great day. Awesome info from the HVCA panel at the Plaza Club. I'm actually here with Melly James, head of New Ventures at Sultan Ventures, president of HVCA. So Melly, real quick, what were some of the key takeaways that you felt from the conversation? Because you guys covered a ton and you went through a lot, but what were some of the things that stood out to you? Yeah, there were a few things that stood out to me. And it was also interesting the fact that this is the third year that we've been hosting this specific luncheon on the state of the venture capital and startup investment industry in Hawaii. Um, since I've been president, it's actually been an annual luncheon in kind of the beginning of the second quarter for, for quite a while now. But, but again, this is my third year doing it. So it was interesting to see some of the changes. I think mainly um, there's a lot of momentum um, and that we actively need to be building on it. I'd say if I was trying to give an analogy of us, you know, canoe surfing, I'd say, you know, we're paddling, the waves are uh, waves are good size, they're going in the right direction, we're paddling to get on a wave, there's some momentum with the boat, but we, are, we cannot stop paddling yet in order to get on this wave. I guess that would be the quickest or the easiest analogy I could give. Um, so again, a lot of momentum, but we need to be actively uh, pursuing it and, and moving, moving uh, with the momentum. Um, I think it was really great to see that the ERS had a positive experience um, putting money towards some funds, um, and they're looking to do a second fund. Uh, that would be really wonderful to see. Also, that um, commercialization in universities is imperative. Um, it's the next phase of evolution. Commercialization is the future of innovation, as entrepreneurship is the future of education. So I think those are some really key takeaways, and I thought that I was looking at my notes from our first luncheon, um, just some of the questions I was asking and, and seeing how things have really evolved. Even Tim Dick talking about, I think it was 150 companies that they've looked at over yeah, the Yeah, that are on years. their radar. They kind of have their own uh, spreadsheet of different companies and, um, you know, both here locally, all in Hawaii and Islands, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. So. Cool. Uh, so I'm curious, what's, uh, what's coming down the pipe? What new stuff do you got for HVCA coming up? Yeah, we've got a really robust schedule for the end of the year. We've got a luncheon coming up on cybersecurity as well as um, health tech and health innovation, as well as uh, looking at this year, we're going to be doing more planning and prepping for the next legislative session. So um, last year, we did kind of a, like an update in January, and we're going to try to do one a little bit earlier than that so that we can really start organizing and getting some great things going. That's incredibly important, especially as we're actively, you know, moving on on a lot of the great momentum that I was talking about is, you know, looking at the ledge and seeing about getting more bills passed that are positive for this industry. So those are a couple things. We've also got something going on in fashion innovation, um, as well as looking at entrepreneurship, uh, corporate entrepreneurship, looking at um, examples of that here in Hawaii. Awesome. Well, always got great info. They can go to hvca.org and sign up for see the events or luncheons or any other activities that are going on. So um, thank you so much for coming on and wrapping up our show. I know I always look forward to this particular HVCA luncheon, uh, you know, having Tim kind of do his recap and the, uh, the broader scale and then kind of really looking at some of the great data they have here locally. So really awesome time uh, a couple weeks ago on Thursday with the HVCA luncheon. And this is the Startup Catalyst podcast show. Stay tuned for the next episode with Sean O'Connell-Brio. Thanks, guys.